Yeah, I don't know what we're going to talk about this week. I just had Star Wars on the brain for pretty much Star all month. Wars. Just Star Wars. Nothing but Star Wars. Wars. Give me that Mm. Star Wars. Don't let them in. (laughs) Uh, All right. I just want to keep going. Nick the Lounge Singer. I know. All right. Get us in there. Come on. I'm doing it this week. Uh, Yep. Come on. Swing it. (laughs) Come on. Swing it. (laughs) You feel it, baby? I do, too. Hello and welcome to Backers, a fortnightly podcast where we explore the most compelling campaigns in a category on Kickstarter and each pick a campaign to back. We are your hosts, Chris Rumpf and Brian Dupuis, and this week we're talking about what we backed in the games category. Yes! Star Wars is here, the games category is here. (laughs) Mm, It's good. It was a good week. Well, good two weeks, right? Yeah, two weeks. Fortnite. A fortnight. <laughs> yeah. So we're not going to talk about Star Wars the entire time. No, that's not what this is about. As much as we could. It's, it's in my heart, though. It's all I want to talk about. <laughs> uh. So, what's been going on in crowdfunding? Well, at this point, I was wondering if we're maybe too late to the conversation already. It's a week <laughs> into this, but to talk about Patreon's fee change controversy. Yeah. Um, Good but Lord. we should dig into it. We should cover it. It's it's big news in the crowdfunding domain. And what we're talking about is December 7th, Patreon announced a new payment model. And they tried to sell this new payment system as making their creators' lives easier, meaning mm. that that the creators can more easily predict their monthly income. That was supposed to be the great sell to them. And I think right. the nuts and bolts were that the shift was going to be that the payment processing would no longer be taken from a creator's monthly funds. Instead, those fees would come from their patrons. So they would be charged to their patrons. Right. And, oh, by the way, there's a fee tacked onto there of 2.9% plus an additional $0.35 cents on each pledge. And mm-hmm. I think the the criticism coming back for this change was primarily centered, centered around that this penalizes small donations and especially those patrons that pledge smaller amounts to multiple campaigns and then there was also some analysis done that is it was expected that this would increase patreon's cut because they would be collecting multiple 35 cent fees on all those individual charges oh yeah well they're not going to do this because it gives them less money right i mean that it's it's just like (laughs) well yeah let's make it Let's make it an analogy to the whole net neutrality thing, right? The mm-hmm. big ISPs didn't spend all this money buying politicians because <laughs> they wanted to offer cheaper service. No, mm. they plan to cash in on it. So similarly, I can't imagine Patreon announcing something that's going to result in less money for them. So they knew that this was going to be a way to get more, more of every cut. But yeah, the... The way that it was more regressive against those patrons that only do the one and two dollar amounts per month, you know, then suddenly you're going to have patrons that are like, well, if I can only if my money only goes this far, I'm only going to back one person Mm -hmm. per month instead of the two that I did before. And yeah, people, all the Patreon folks, especially the, the smaller ones, they pushback very hard the rage was 
loud and pretty much unanimous. I don't think anyone was a fan of this particular decision. <laughs> Patreon was. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but, misstated. Yeah. yeah, I think if, Patreon was a big fan of it. If you dig, you know, you find that Patreon raised $60 million in a Series C round this year with a 40, $450 million valuation. Mm. So when you pull the covers back even further, you find out that Patreon makes $8 million a year. And yeah. that valuation is just bananas to me. Yeah, that's pants on head crazy valuation for a company of that's pulling in that kind of revenue. No, yeah, yes. I mean, I think a common valuation multiplier is in the 10, maybe 20x range, yep. which puts them at yep. a valuation of 80 to 160 million, yet they raised 56 <laughs> times revenue. So, yep. I mean, that pressure had to increase. To get more Yeah, money. I mean, Absolutely. that's the pressure from their stakeholders. Up. You've got to... I mean, that has to be at play behind those fee changes. And, you know, that's a way to drive revenue up without having to acquire new customers. You change right. the fee structure. And I think it's just dishonest that they tried to pass it off as having their creator's best interest in mind. And I guess the community saw through that, t- too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting, too, how starkly this stands against Kickstarter. Because Kickstarter, I mean, we talked about this back in our Episode 7 film and video about Kickstarter being a public benefit corporation. Right. And so that makes me wonder how they'll end up doing with Drip versus mm. how Patreon, you know, because that was, in a way, kind of standing as a competitor to Patreon. And now competitor or Patreon's had this ill will that they've injected on the community. So it's good timing for Kickstarter, isn't it? <laughs> it sure seems like it. <laughs> I wonder if they had a poison pill inside of uh, Patreon that had a whole lot of Kickstarter stock that was like, hey, guys, I think it would be a really good idea if we screwed with the fee structure <laughs> and, <laughs> and sabotaged them from within because I hadn't even thought of that aspect where Kickstarter's new service might see some momentum. Although that one is still an invite-only service, so it's not like True. it's open to all of these creators that would have wanted to move. But I thought it was interesting that they didn't last a week with this change before they <laughs> right. fessed up that they screwed up and are no longer going to do this. So yeah, six days after they did it, they issued an apology and said, you know what? Yeah, we messed up and we're going to put pause on these plans until we can figure out <laughs> a way to do it that won't piss everybody off, but still allow us to make more money, right? So what do you think at this point? Do you think that the creator community on Patreon hearing that or, you know, seeing that Patreon heard them and backed off that, that that engenders goodwill? Or do you think that the cat's mm. out of the bag now and that they've lost that I credibility? I think that's a tough one. No, I, 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 it never got to the point where they actually implemented it, right? They announced the change and it was going to go in effect and the backlash and, and outcry from the community they took that feedback very seriously and said, you know what, guys, you, you, you got us. That's, this is not the best way forward. We need to be more transparent. And I think that was a large part of it was that they pretty much sprang it on the community and said, here's the way this is going to work. Enjoy the new fee structure. This will be live, what, December 18th. And, and that was not the right way to move forward with this. So I think. I think they did the right thing and communicated it well whenever they realized they'd screwed up. I think their initial communication obviously wasn't done correctly and they probably will learn from that, but I think I think they're this is not the death knell for Patreon, I don't think. Yeah. 
Well, it'd be inter- so, interesting yeah. to see in uh, in 2018 where all this goes. Sure. So that's it for Patreon. We'll move on from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think I don't know about you, but for the games category, we've been excited about this one for for quite a while. It's a big category. There were over 500 campaigns in that category to dig through. And very few of them were really like, what in the world are these people thinking? Which is kind of impressive. Yeah, it seems like most of them were really well conceived. And uh, I just love especially the tabletop category where I spent most of my time. It's really nice to see Mm -hmm. all these really innovative ideas coming forward with just beautiful art. Like... (laughs) They, they oh yeah you just see so many times they come to come to the table with a great campaign video and great art yeah uh, rather there's than, some very talented people out there doing this stuff yeah so yeah we'll get into that the, the first yeah. thing i wanted to mention though is that um there was a campaign that i saw okay that i ended up waffling on hmm okay but it was RPG dice, enamel lapel pins, and magnet sets for gamers. <laughs> and Brian, <laughs> wait a minute, you waffled on it? You I, were going I, to back it? I waffled <laughs> on it because it was twenty five dollars for a complete set of role playing dice enamel pins. And yeah, I honestly was going to back this, but it closed just before I got in. I saw it and I just thought, you know, I look oh. at all the campaigns and we I mean they're great campaigns. And then I, I I just wanted to see your face and hear the derision and your it just for me proudly backing a campaign that was an enamel pin. Of enamel pins. Yeah. You would have faced the shame and faced my scorn happily, wouldn't you? I, you would have just done it with a smile. What, yeah, I would have owned it. And the thing is I, <laughs> and warn I still them. kind of want them but I would really just want one and $25 for a set. You know, it's one of those things, like if I was in a game store and saw one and it was like $3 for the pin, I would probably would pick totally it up. totally get yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I don't... And you get a D20, wouldn't you? Yeah. I don't need a full set. I'd wear, I'd wear the D20. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> yeah. And then thoughts were going through my mind, like, oh, I could buy a set and break it up and give some out as gifts, but... Mm. Like I said, I everybody just, would want the D twenty. I didn't get in, so yeah, it was kind of a bummer. It is. I'm impressed that you found the enamel pin project in in games. I admit I didn't look. I didn't check to see if there were enamel pins in this category, but I shouldn't have despaired. It of was, course, there is. I didn't go looking for it. I just happened to look at the page, and there it was, hovering like an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, Chris, back the enamel pin. But yeah, I always uh, said, you know, if I saw the right pin project, eventually maybe I could be converted, and and there it was. That was but it. I was, was I was a day one. late. Man, it's almost like the alpaca sweater thing. But I had nobody to get me in on this one, and that's kind of the I bummer know. thing about Kickstarter. When you miss a campaign, oftentimes you can't get in. Yeah, you know we'll there talk are about some that campa- a little bit yeah. more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah we'll we'll get there all right good it's on the docket yeah so let's talk about what we found this in the games category okay let's do it you want to start let's us do off? it um i'm gonna start with stuffed so okay. stuffed is a project that looked really fun and really this one was a toss-up as to whether i would back it or back the one that i actually ended up backing so 
because we're talking about it now. It's not this is not the one. This is a mentionable, but um, <laughs> this campaign, the artwork on the game's cards is is really superb, and the oh, concept of this game essentially revolves around these little spirit filled stuffed animals that have to be drafted to go on missions. So it's a card game. And the game mechanic for drafting your little stuffed buddies, your little stuffed heroes, and then completing missions with them is kind of Yahtzee-like, where you're rolling a set of dice and you're trying to collect certain formulations of dice results. So they're custom dice. It's not They're six-sided dice, but they have custom markers on them that represent different things. I can't remember right right off the top of my head what they're called, but like Essence or... The spirit or something like that, right? So you'd, you'd roll your handful <laughs> right. of dice, and in order to draft a character, you would have to get the right dice pool to, to have them come join your team. And there are, there are characters that have special abilities that can influence the dice or give you re-rolls and that kind of thing. So it looks pretty fast and casual. I think the game design looks great. I think it's pretty. I think it's cool. I think it'll keep people engaged and excited about playing it multiple times. And it just looked great. So kudos to them. Um, I think with their Kickstarter, they were pretty clever too because they had some backing levels that include actual stuffed plushies. And um, (laughs) so that's great. Oh, that's good. And, uh, you know, the project's now closed, but they were successful to the tune of almost $85,000 with 2,851 backers. So, I mean, that's that's a great one. It'll be interesting when that one comes out. I think that'll have some legs and you might be able to find it in your local game shop eventually. Can I tell you, I really kind of hope so because I never even saw this project and just scrolling through, I really want it. Like I was looking for a good, I think we talked about this when we went into this category, I said I wasn't going to look at video games because number one, uh, and that's something uh, a reasonable talk at the t- topic to mm, talk true. about for this category video games given that you know we're both developers we know how much time and effort goes into these things and how far these dollars go towards doing that especially whenever you look at the game industry as a whole it's a multi-million dollar industry for getting even not triple a games going, you know? And so these Kickstarters that are, you know, getting $10,000 or, or even a hundred thousand dollars, that just doesn't go very far whenever you're trying to get a studio together to put out a video game. Uh, so I didn't want to go down the video game path. So I was really looking at tabletop games and this, it really is beautiful. And it looks like the kind of game mechanic and, and, novelty that I was looking for. So I probably would have jumped on this if I had seen it, but I just somehow never saw this one. (laughs) Yeah, I felt that too. Like you were talking about video games. I didn't delve into the video game category for that reason. When you start talking about AAA titles, you're talking about game budgets that are on par with feature length motion picture, like motion film. Yeah. Uh, Millions and millions of dollars. So yeah, the thought of raising a few thousand tens of thousands even a hundred thousand dollars to try and do a full-on video game um yeah is almost ludicrous so so yeah, yeah i spent my time I, in, the, in the tabletop category um i think all my picks kind of were, were from there hmm. um it's kind of funny what, what because you? the one time that i backed that, that that's my one failed kickstarter is the <laughs> one video game yeah. that i backed way back when uh tetra pulse 
I, I don't think I named it originally, but yeah, it's Tetrapulse. I think what's... Um, you can look it up. I think what's really crazy is that, you know, all the mentionable picks and even our backed picks, we had no overlaps here. So that's really no. fascinating too. It is. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, speaking of, tell me, my tell first me about your picks. first one. Yeah. I'm actually going to talk about two of them at the at about the same time. The first one is Andrana Project, uh, Playing Never Felt So Real. This is a social deduction game that blends the physical and the digital worlds, creating a unique game experience. And yes, it is a at least partially a video game. It's more of a mobile game than a uh, computer or a web game or something like that. And then the second one is similar. Uh, it's called Human Era. Humans have discovered time travel and instantly screw everything up. Attempt to repair time in this four to 10 player social deduction game. So both of these games are less about the technology and the screens that you see or anything like that, and more about the social aspect of the game. So I'm pretty sure they're both. I'll talk mostly about Andrana Project because frankly, I missed out on this one. I Mm. wanted to back it and it was kind of similar to your stuffed in that I was thinking about it. And by the time I think I like had to go home or something like that. And by the time I got back on, it was already closed. And so it was gone. But for Andrana project as a, a person that has this game, it has an app included with it. You download that app, you have your friends download the app. They can join you in this game without owning it. You, they, they are hosted within your game And it's one of those things where the people around you that are playing the game are placed on one of two teams. And the whole conceit is you basically have to figure out via the game mechanics who's on your team and who's on the other team. And each team has a goal to achieve without knowing who's on the other team. And so it's all about, I know there's this one game that's a card game that's kind of similar to this that they play at the office sometimes. And I've played once, but I can't remember the name for the life of me, but I find it very interesting that there's a lot of, you know, duplicity and you're trying to fake out the other team and misdirect them to think that you're not who you are or you're not on the team that you are, or it's all that social dynamics Mm -hmm. of trying to make sure that the other side doesn't win by any means necessary, all the subterfuge and, you know, oh, kill that guy because he's definitely on the other team and that's not what you want to do or is it, you know, so I found it, found that aspect interesting and their implementation of it with the app and some manner of real world mechanisms as well was really compelling to me because like they have this little gadget that, that comes into play that is part of the game if you back it at a certain level instead of at the base level. Like the base level is nine bucks for just the app. And then there's other levels where like you get this extra part of it where it comes into play where everyone has to put their phone close to it and it's got a some kind of beacon in it that can tell things and, and it, it's just part of the gameplay in a very cool way. So I was really sad to to miss out on Andrana Project. And Human Era is a similar game of social deduction. It just has a different spin on it based on time travel. That's its conceit. But I thought they were both really interesting, and I came super-duper close for both of them. So that's my first yeah. two. In Andrana, what's that little pink? Is it a BTLE? Is it a... So, yeah, these are blue, low-energy Bluetooth devices, and 
that's the physical aspect that comes into play where at certain points in the game, it's a, it's a real time game in that you take actions on the app and then it might say everyone on this team has to touch into the beacon in a certain time or they get a virus on their device or something like that. So it's a, and then at that point, everyone puts their phone in to the beacon and then it's up to you to figure out, well, are they actually on that team or did they do that mm-hmm. because they were the ones that knew that everyone was going to have to put their phone down, right? So it's that kind of dynamic. Yeah, it looks cool. The The social intrigue is neat. And yeah, it totally reminds me of card games like The Resistance or Avalon or Coup. All those games. Avalon. Have, That's have, the one I was thinking yeah. of. All those games. Um, and they're great because they're they're good for large groups. You can play oftentimes up to 10, maybe 12 people with these kind of games. And then right. Mafia and Werewolf or some other great games like this. So this one's kind of neat that it has that technology piece to it as well with the apps and the the little beacon thing sounds uh, innovative and cool. So yeah. Yeah, this is a good find, man. I didn't see this one. Yeah. And I missed out. So I was pretty, I was pretty bummed about that. I was, and it was a relatively inexpensive to get into at $9 for that app. So I was like, Oh yeah, that way it'd be pretty cool to get in and you have this cool game. So, but I missed out. Yeah. So what do you got? I'll go to my next one was movable type. And this was the second edition of movable type. So this is a neat, uh, cool little word game that mixes the feel of classic word games with modern game mechanics. So this being their second edition, they had a first edition, I think it was last year, on Kickstarter too. So this is a refinement of their earlier rule set. And the game is a letter drafting game where you try to make words from your hand. And as you... Okay. So you draft, like I said, letters. So each card has a letter on it, and you you draft those through, through multiple rounds. And each round... You try to play a word from your hand, and as you win rounds, you grow your deck, you grow your hand, Uh, Mm. so there are more letters available to you, and everything is building towards a single final round in which it's a winner-take-all. So that that sounded kind of cool. Like, I've... Yeah, uh, I think games like Scrabble and what's words with friends, right, on on the digital platform, like, those games are really, really fun. And so... This seems like a really neat uh, analog tabletop game, card game, uh, around sort of the similar, like, uh, that scratches those similar itches for wordplay. And it also (laughs) sounds really neat and extremely portable. And then I like that they've already had this game out there for a while and have taken feedback and have done this refinement to the rule set. So I, I really almost got in on this one, too. Did you take a look at the scores on Board Game Geek to see how the first one was received? I think it was received pretty well, and I did see that they've also won through 2016 several different uh, awards at different game conventions. Sweet. And, you know, they've, they've accumulated quite a few accolades. I, I don't recall off the top of my head how they, how they did on Board Game Geek. But, yeah, that's interesting to note, too. When I've looked at the tabletop category, oftentimes these games that have been backed um, either they had a previous edi- edition or they're running a campaign now and they've had a lot of, what do you, what do you say, advertisement or they've uh, gone to different trade shows or conventions and, and done showcases right. for it. You'll sometimes have people start getting on Board Game Geek early on, too, and start giving reviews and opinions and ratings well even before these games release. So a lot of the campaigns I did go, look, I didn't find a ton this time around as I was doing that, but that definitely is a great way to vet 
a game that you're looking at on Kickstarter to know if it might have any, like if you haven't got a chance to play it and you're just kind of blindly backing something, it's it's nice that there sometimes is a resource out there that you can go to and yeah, get some idea if it's going to be good or not. I like that this one, somewhat similar to some of the other ones that I saw, if you want to, they have the complete instruction book and a PDF for the first edition and you can download it and like it actually has all the cards and so you can clip them out and try it yourself just with a <laughs> a cheap version of it. Yeah, that's really awesome. Just to see how the how it plays. So that's yep. pretty cool. Yeah, good find. Yeah, it looked like a cool one. Yeah, the Andrana project going back to that one it is kind of similar. They I don't I think they had some reviews up on Board Game Geek, but they had a lot of beta testers that recorded videos of games that went on and it's it was useful for seeing how it plays out and the kind of speed like i think they were able to get through a complete game in like two or three minutes and then they finished and they're like well let's start over and it was that kind of thing right they're getting used to it and they're like well that was fun and fast and so let's see how we can do on the next time right and it's always random so yeah i liked i liked seeing the the beta testers and seeing actual play to give you some kind of insight into what the gameplay looks like and whether it's going to be fun. Yeah, that's invaluable. So let's see. My next one. Oh, yes. My next one is Living Planet by Christophe uh, Bollinger. I'm going to assume that's maybe French. This is by Lumberjack Studio. Uh, this was a full on. You mean Bollinger? Is it Bollinger? But with Christophe at the beginning. <laughs> It threw me. Um, this is a full-blown tabletop multi-piece card game for two to four players, or board game for two to four players. Uh, this one has the works. This is the one that I was talking to you about that kind of sounded a bit Seven Wonders-ish with the size and complexity of the play. Mm-hmm. You can see all the pieces that are involved. They have, if I'm not mistaken, they've provided, and let me just scroll down here and make sure this is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, so this one, they provided the rule book of the work in progress so that you can actually read through the rules and see what you think of the gameplay mechanics and all that. And I thought, number one, the premise and the artwork were Mm -hmm. excellent. I mean, it really looks professional. This looks like an honest-to-God board game that you would find on the shelves at, at good games shops. And I I so completely almost clicked by on this one. I had reservations, and I think we discussed this before. I felt like for my use of board games, mm-hmm. which is really almost exclusively, except for you know when you and I and some friends play, it's me and my wife and daughter, and we don't do complex games. We do relatively simple games. I won't say too simple, but these ones that have big rule books that require a whole lot of understanding of various mechanics to the gameplay, and you've got dice, you've got pieces, you've got cards, you've got boards and multiple types of units and building and it was just 
I think it was one of those things where we might try it once, maybe twice, and then not come back to it. I think it looks excellent, but just for my gameplay preferences at this time, no. Too too involved. Yeah. I did see this one, though, too, and I love the... Um the the banner their art artwork for the banner where you have oh, yeah. uh, what what maybe a, a a woman there with a some i don't know some sort of staff or clawed staff like it looks like out a over. back scratcher <laughs> she's got a giant back scratcher and she's looking out over that yeah. that uh terrain and i yeah. love that because it just evokes that um exploration yeah i was gonna say that so the one of the books that i got yesterday was the art of the last jedi the star wars and i end up <laughs> i end up buying the the artwork that's behind um all those those books so i have they're like big coffee table books with just this wonderful uh pre-production design you oh, know yeah. and this just looks like the kind of stuff that you see when they're creating mood boards or doing that preliminary art art design for for movies sure. that they just throw these pieces out there and then you can just get lost in, in the painting the yeah. digital painting kind of just yep. letting your mind explore all the possibilities that could be there and so yeah i saw that and i was like that looks amazing yeah it really really does i don't have any guilt for not backing it because they're not going to have any problems making their goal i'm pretty sure they <laughs> they whack I don't remember what it was aiming for, but they raised over two hundred nine thousand euros yeah. from almost twenty five hundred backers. So they they definitely made it. They don't need my money, but it, if you're looking for an actual real nuts and bolts, nitty gritty tabletop game with a lot of elements, this is the thing. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. So What's hey, next? I also found one. I've got two more, I guess we okay. can do. And they'll probably yeah. both go pretty quick. Um, I found Fly Casual, which was a, a magnetized tray for X-Wing. I used to play a lot of X-Wing. It's a fantasy flight uh, tabletop miniatures game. And mm. it's, it's like small skirmish. So you basically have a, a small squadron of like X-Wings, right? Versus an Imperial player's small group of TIE Fighters. And you right. maneuver these miniatures around on top of a table. And this was just a really cool project that solves an issue with organizing all the components that are needed to play the game, especially in a tournament setting where you have to carry all your stuff around from table to table. And uh, <laughs> it's like that's that's problematic because the game has like all your little miniatures, your starfighters, as well as tokens and a damaged deck of cards and different movement templates. And all those components can be a bit fiddly. So having hmm. a compact system to organize all that would just be really, really welcomed to, to the game. And I loved it, but I just didn't back it because I haven't played X-Wing in, in so long. But yeah. if there are people out there that... Are, are X-Wing players and have had this issue with trying to organize all their little bits and bobs, I would definitely give this uh, a look and see if that might, you know, solve that need for you. Right. Interesting. I admit I have no idea what, how this solves the problem or what, whenever I look at it, I just see a bunch of numbers and, and fiddly <laughs> bits, like you said. So I don't know how X-Wing plays, but it looks cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the general thing is you might have like a shoebox or 
I don't know. You see all these people just kind of come up, roll their own solutions on how you you keep all these, like I said, tokens and cards and, and movement templates and your ships and all this stuff that you have to... Like, if you're just playing at a table setting, you can line it all up and play a game and put it away. But if you're playing, like, in a competitive right. situation, a tournament where they have multiple tables and you're getting paired up against different opponents and you have to keep moving your junk around, then having all this <laughs> in a nice, compact little organizer would be it would be huge. It'd be great. And it looks cute. I mean, it's okay. cute. It looks cute. That's It looks cute. I'm going to own that. It, it looks cool. It's so precious. It's so, it's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, my last one, uh, at least before we get to the back projects, is the Enigma Box, uh, created by the Enigma Box. The biggest adventure of all time from your front room, a challenge based on historical events and mysteries that will test your wits. I, I won't say that I almost backed it because I didn't, because the actual Enigma Box, if you want to get one, at this time, the the cheapest you can get in is at 137 pounds, <laughs> which struck me as a bit dear for a game. I I don't know if you looked at this one, but I like that it's for one to four players, age 12 plus, and the time is 6,000 plus minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Does it come with uh, bitcoins inside? I don't know. It's possible, yeah. But if you visit this campaign's page and look at it, the amount of stuff in this Enigma box is almost overwhelming. You're trying to solve a challenge that's based on actual, supposedly, real-life mysteries, and there's a whole lot of actual physical elements that you manipulate, you look for clues, you piece things together. There's everything from NFC chips to augmented reality portions to uh, cartography and trying to dig into the actual history of things based on just an insane number of little fiddly clues and stuff, including stuff that's in the real world, apparently. And this is a continuing thing, which is, I guess, the reason for the 6,000 plus minutes. So once you get the Enigma box, it's you're you're opening the mystery and starting it but it keeps going into the future uh i it, it sounds really intriguing and for people that love puzzles and trying to get through secrets you know da vinci codish kinds of things where you find what the, like the cryptic the cryptic container uh, do you remember that in the in the in the movies yeah oh yeah things like that if that's the kind of thing that you, you dig, I, I can't imagine a better gift than this type of thing. I just couldn't do it because it was quite expensive. And I worried, frankly, about how, to me, this type of thing is fun mm -hmm. once, right? And once you solve each of the puzzles, there's no going back and doing right. it again. It's an experience. Exactly. And... I, that might be interesting, but it wasn't the type of thing that I was looking for. So, but have you looked at what all's included in this thing? I can't wrap my head around it. I mean, it looks really ambitious. It really does. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I think I stopped where they, <laughs> where you had to swab your DNA and send that in for an analysis. 
<laughs> no, I mean, yeah. this looks like it's got everything under the sun. You were talking about Living Planet being too uh, it, too crunchy yeah. for your family. I can't imagine you trying to pull this out and be like, <laughs> okay, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah, for the next for, for the next hours. Yeah, for the next six months, the only thing our family yeah. will do in our free time is try and figure out this godforsaken box. <laughs> Did you see it? Even has VR yes. glasses. What? Okay. I mean, it's astonishing the amount of stuff in here. So it might be expensive, but I bet the people that actually do it will get a unique experience that they're not going to get anywhere else. So kudos to them for being this ambitious. I'm just not the guy, I guess, that's ready for such a challenge. <laughs> You're not up to it. Are you, I'm not Chris? up to it. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, mm-hmm. Yep. My mind's blown. I can't handle it. But I, I love, like I said, the ambition of it. Oh, it's just, it's enormous. My, right, my last one is so pedestrian in comparison. It's Dice Wars. <laughs> and the only the Dice only thing Wars. I really wanted to mention about Dice Wars, I just wanted to highlight yeah. the campaign video. I just, I okay. loved the campaign video for this one. It was put together like a cooking video. So it's <laughs> just a top-down shot of like a mixing bowl, and they're adding all the ingredients to the game that are actually the game pieces. Like they'll throw the dice in and throw the tiles in and... <laughs> And and they're basically, you know, cooking the game. That's that's all I wanted to highlight. The campaign video is awesome. That's fantastic. I mean, beyond that, here's the deal. It's just, it's a game where you, I think you have uh, tiles. So that has kind of that 2D terrain aspect to it. You roll handfuls of dice. And I think basically some of those dice become the units that you put into play on the game. I mean, I think... For some gamers, it's just satisfying to roll big handfuls of dice. And they are custom dice. I think the whole custom dice thing is starting to wear a little bit thin. Like So many games now are, rather than just using your standard D6s that are numbered 1 through 6, everybody's got to have their own custom dice with oh games. Oh, God, and yes. Like I said, that's just starting to feel kind of like it's overstated. It's welcome. But I think it's a little bit forgivable in this case since the game is centered around dice. Um Mm. And I didn't really dig too deep into the mechanics of it, um, but but I just like I said, go check out the, the go check out the video. It was it was really really creative. Look. I didn't see it. Yeah, awesome. Hey, yeah, do you want to go first with your backed pick, or do you want me to? Okay, yeah. I'll All go right. first. That's cool. fine. So my backed pick for the games category is I'm gonna do it. I'm oh. gonna do it. You ready? Ready. <clears throat> yep. Tuba book. You nailed it. Ah, First try. I think I did pretty good. Yeah, I think I did pretty good. Uh, a sci-fi mystery graphic adventure. Uh, this is a video game. I completely went back on my initial hesitance on video games. This one, I, I saw it and read through it, saw the video, and especially after missing out on the Andrana project, I was just like, yep, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm backing it. So... Uh, this is enjoy an adventurous vacation to a 1960s parallel universe. The thing that I love most about this, and I'm not sure how much of this you look through. Uh, so this is a essentially probably a point and click adventure game. That's at its heart. So imagine the mists of okay. the world and stuff like that. Uh, 
But what sets this one apart, aside from the story, which I'm sure will be interesting, and uh, I'll, I'll talk about it in a bit, the graphics are done based on handcrafted scenery. They actually built miniatures for the sets by hand of everywhere that they feature. And then they scan it and use that, the digital representation of it in the game. It gives it a, a realism. It's almost like a cartoon realism that is whimsical and attractive and cool. So I really couldn't resist. So the story is, imagine yourself on a vacation in Europe in the late 60s. Now, picture yourself as a young American scientist, Hans Tannhauser. While you're at it, think of Trubebuch, <laughs> a remote village in rural, mountain-sloped, and densely forested Cold War Germany, because that's where you somehow end up after hitting the continent. But who cares? You won the trip in a lottery. Or at least that's how it seems. But don't fear, instead of getting some rest, you could find yourself having to save the world. Uh, so it's a, you know, that kind of save the world in Cold War Germany. But just the aesthetic, I'm a sucker for really cool aesthetic in just about everything. And so when I saw the video of this and how they made it and the resulting type of graphics that you get, I that was it. I was lost. So I think that handmade scenery is... I mean, that's the defining thing to me about this campaign. I thought mm-hmm. the melding of, of those handmade sets with the the digital models, uh, it looks great. Yeah. I can't say enough about it. Please go look at it. Is it, this, this closed? Uh, it's closed. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. You guys missed out. Maybe, uh, maybe we can talk to the creators and <laughs> <laughs> contact me if you want to get in. Maybe, you know, I'll use my incredible backers street cred to get you guys just in. that kickstarter life man you miss these campaigns yeah. and like sometimes you'll miss a campaign ah. and they'll have late pledges or you'll be able yeah. to get a link to their website and kind of get in even if it's not at the same reward level that you yep. know the kickstarters were and then sometimes there's a campaign that closes up and you just you missed it it was like this you ephemeral done. thing yeah i just saw one that had a late pledge but i don't remember what it was uh, I, I think i saw earlier that stuffed might have had, had oh there a late it is pledge. and living planet oh and living planet living too. planet has late pledge open okay back to business oh yeah so Chris what did you find uh Brian did you know that unicorn gas is toxic <laughs> did, I guess I did okay well yeah it is in the faraway land of the queendom they had mm. a serious unicorn issue the land was overrun with these pesky beasts and the contamination mm. to the environment caused by unicorn farts was immense. It, <laughs> it was causing microclimates all around the queendom. It was raining down sugar and candy. It just made everything in the land a giant sticky mess. So uh. the princess declared open hunting season on unicorns. And I'm here to tell you that I've joined the hunt. So uh. I got in on Kill the Unicorns, an enchanted card <laughs> game for evil geniuses. <laughs> <laughs> which this, this is a fantastic campaign yeah it looks humorous uh so yeah it does. i got got in on it they've crushed it um dude this project is lit yeah. they're on fleek i don't know what those words mean approximately 5500 <laughs> backers have contributed 200 203 000 to make this thing happen and it closes in four days so the ceiling hasn't even been hit yet 
Um, God. So just reading from the campaign, Kill the Unicorns is a blind bidding and collection card game. You play as one of the Queendom's unique characters. Catch as many unicorns as you can, ideally without accidentally capturing a smelly unicorn or a pigacorn. A pigacorn. Yeah. So that's a pig with a horn <laughs> lasso to its oh, head. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this looks really humorous, <laughs> quick to play, easy to teach, and I liked that it could play between three and six players because a lot of times mm. if you get together, right, three couples, you have six players, and oh, there are a lot yeah. of games that are two to four, maybe even two to five players. But getting right. a game that can get that sixth player in there is often difficult. So I loved that it had that sixth player as its cap. Um, and I ended up going for this, backing this, because it looks like a great filler game. Uh, and what I mean by that mm. is if you're sometimes on a game night and you're playing two or three board games, especially if they're longer board games or even you know games that take a lot of mental calculation or or kind of stressful having a little game that can fill the time between set tearing down and setting yeah. up another game that can be played i think this one plays in maybe 30 minutes to probably 45 minutes on the upside on the top side um so have that filler game you can toss in there and kind of break the tension and a little palette yeah, exactly is is really great so that's where i think this one's gonna that's the purpose i hope that this one will serve um for me and that's fantastic yeah so it's it, it's great and like i said it's just a card game so you're you're basically everybody is a hunter and you're playing these unicorns and i think each player gets a chance to add modifiers that you can't be seen to the unicorns and then everybody's bidding on <laughs> on the unicorns and it's <laughs> kind of like a it's, so it's a bet, betting game, right? And there's some bluffing involved with it. And basically you're trying to kill or capture unicorns. Um, and whoever gets the most is the winner. They have different points values. So, But yeah, it's clever looking. It's really energetic and fun. Whimsical. Yeah, it looks, it looks good. Did you back at the level to where you get the uh, plush piggy corn? <laughs> I didn't go up there. <laughs> oh, man. I don't, it's cute. I don't need that plush piggy corn lifestyle. <laughs> i saw this one do you can you guess the primary reason i didn't back it uh i don't know too pink examine examine the demographic perhaps not me i want you to picture my daughter playing a game where your oh. primary thing is to kill or capture unicorns <laughs> i want you to put that in your brain and see where you the end Empress up of horse <laughs> island mm-hmm. okay yeah, not That's... gonna fly in the Dupuis household. Sorry, unicorns are sacred beasts. They they certainly aren't. They flatulent, are. They and we don't kill they them. Are. They are gassy, toxic, <laughs> just terrible little beasts that ruin the countryside. Mm. They urinate on things. I don't know. They make things sugary. It sounds like they're performing a service, Chris. I don't know. So, I yeah. I love this campaign, but like I said, for my <laughs> my usual demographic <laughs> for gaming, not going to fly. It's it's why I don't own Cards Against Humanity. It's kind of hard to play Cards Against Humanity with your 14-year-old. Right. I can see that. Just not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> so that's games. We did it. Games. I'm, I'm kind of sad. It's uh, 
I've been looking forward to that one for a long time, and now we're past it. Yeah, that was the one Can we that, double dip? that was holding up. You know, like we just kept looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, now we have um, <sighs> journalism. You want to say it? Yeah, journalism. So this is one I have not been looking forward to. I mm, just either. journalism. Can I get a subscription to like the New York Times or something? Will that count? <laughs> uh, Feels like it should count, right? Washington Post. Can I watch a few uh, subscribe? Get a Wapo subscription. Will that count? Can I watch some Beam videos on YouTube. Is that <laughs> Philip DeFranco? Can I just? Uh, no, you know what? We're gonna I do can't it. Just give some views their way we and say that I backed some journalism. Uh, no, we owe it to the listeners to do our diligence and find something to back in that category, Chris. That's our responsibility. All right, I'm up to the challenge. As I'm do this. Until next time, we can, we will find it and we'll bring it to you next. It's gonna be a good one. You ready? Let's get us out of here. Cool. That's all of our time for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next time when we'll be exploring and backing one campaign from Kickstarter's journalism category. Backers is produced by Brian Dupuy and Chris Rum. You can find the show notes for this episode and our previous episodes at our website, backerspodcast.com. You can contact us on Twitter at, at @backerspodcast or individually at coldforest and at Rumpke. Join us again next time, and until then, back responsibly.